Let's pray. Help me to speak now, Lord, in a way that makes it easy for people to hear what you have to say to them. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today I want to talk about access to God. The book of Exodus, which we come to the end of today, ends with the tabernacle being built. And if you haven't been with us, let me give you a little previously in Exodus moment where uh, we picked up the story when Israel had been brought out of Egypt and they're a rabble of slaves, but at the foot of Mount Sinai they meet with God and he makes a deal with them. He gives them the law, which you may know as the Ten Commandments, which is the opening part of that law. Uh, Moses is up the mountain getting plans for the tabernacle, which we hear got built. But uh, before it got built, um, Israel went badly off the rails and broke pretty much the first commandment God gave them by making an idol out of a golden calf and worshipping, trying to worship the Lord using this idol. Uh, things, although they were bad, did not go completely off the rails. We're back on the rails today. The Lord has forgiven Israel. Moses has interceded and the Lord has been gracious. And so we have new tablets so that the law can be rewritten and the deal restruck. And we have not just a new tablet, but we have the actual tabernacle being made. And when Moses finished the work and set up the tabernacle, uh, chapter 40, verse 34, then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. This is a kind of pretty magnificent way for the book to end, actually. This, this uh, wonderful, rich, ornate, skillfully and intricately built tent a dwelling place for God is filled with this wonderful sign of his presence, the cloud and the glory. In, in chapter 25, verse 8, right at the beginning of this tabernacle section, God told Moses, have the Israelites make a sanctuary for me and I will dwell among them. And so with the sanctuary made, God draws near and is indeed in some way with his people right among them. However, on the other hand... He does draw near, but he also remains separate. The very sign of his presence is a cloud, something you cannot see into. It hides whatever might be seen within it. And this cloud fills a tent. A tent is a structure which hides and veils the one who dwells within. God may be near, but there are barriers to access. Perhaps a little bit like going to visit someone in isolation ward in hospital. They are there, they're right there, but you can't actually give them a hug. They're sealed off. There's nearness, but there's also separation. Or like going to visit someone in prison. Uh, not that you probably have had to do this too often in a high security joint, but you've seen the TV shows. You know, People sit behind uh, a big screen and talk on a phone, and they put their hands up to the screen. They, they're so near, but yet... There's a separation, there's a lack of access. But, you know, it's not that God has some disease which uh, he might infect us with, and it's not that God's in the slammer because he's done some crime. No, it's the other way around. It's, it's we who have the problem, who are the problem. The fact of God's holiness 
and our unholiness is what makes access to God for us limited and partial. God's holiness is a a kind of spotless purity that characterises everything that God is. There's nothing about God that is sullied or compromised in any way. His justice is blameless. His goodness is unimpeachable. His power is faultlessly held and faultlessly deployed. His mercy shines in its perfect integrity. God's holiness is a power that is destructive of all unholiness. Uh, God's presence is a consuming fire to all that is compromised, is guilty, is unholy, is spotted. And hence the tabernacle can be seen in some ways as a kind of holiness containment unit by which the holy God may dwell amongst an unholy people but with kind of meticulous care in the arrangements by which this is done, that everything is done by Moses as the Lord commanded him. It must be done in this way because for the holy God to dwell amongst an unholy people, care is required. Today I want to talk about three things and one of them I've already talked about. That is God's holiness. But the other two things that I want to talk about are our unholiness and then lastly our access to God. So uh, let's talk about those things. But why? You might ask, you know, okay, Ben, that's kind of a good picture in some ways of God dwelling amongst his people, but also like, can we do better? Does God have to be kind of inaccessible still, even though he's so near? Can we have real access to God without this kind of holiness containment unit? We'll get to that question. Let's talk about then our unholiness. Our unholiness means that we need cleansing, we need atonement, we need consecration if we are to approach God. You probably know the feeling of being compromised. Uh, It's thrust upon us in some ways, in various ways. If I say the words carbon footprint, uh, you might feel a little twinge, a little shock of, of guilt at having a carbon footprint, which is, you know, supposed to be a bad thing. That we all unavoidably participate in a society. We're part of a species that pollutes the planet and this is tars us. We have this carbon footprint. Or if I say eating meat, Again, you might get a little twinge of guilt at some level about being fed through the slaughter of animals. And especially if you think about like factory farming or something like that. And we can seek cleansing from these things that contaminate and pollute us in some way. Maybe you, you, know, you buy the carbon offsets when you fly or you make sure that all the meat you eat is at least free range. You have your vegetarian days. Some of us you know, go further and consecrate ourselves to radical action to veganism, to never getting on a plane, or whatever it is. Those give us a sense of what it might be to be kind of part of something that is compromised and that we're involved in unavoidably, almost. Well, our unholiness is a bit like that. There's a crack in our nature, all of us that we share. It's not a carbon footprint. It's not anything to do with the way we treat animals. I mean, they are all connected, yes, but they're not the same things. It's it's bigger and it's deeper that we are fallen creatures. And even our best intentions and our most, you know, thoughtful acts, they still entangle us in compromise with impurity in one way or another. Our desires are always mixed. Our wills are weak. 
Our motives are not pure. We cannot follow the twists and turns of our hearts that drive our actions and our reactions, but we can be conscious that we are imperfect and that we do things that we, you know, we ought not to do. And we uh, have desires and feelings that are not good. We can feel a certain guilt about this and know that there's a general grubbiness of spirit that infects us, all of us, each individually and together. And hence the need for these compensations of one kind or another that we feel we have to have to remove the stain. Penances we want to set ourselves to do or sacrifices we want to make. Good deeds we hope will outweigh our bad ones. When Isaiah sees the Lord enthroned in his temple, he cries, Woe to me, for I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. The unholy to be exposed to the holiness of God is woe and ruin and a sense of it. There can be no access to God without our unholiness being dealt with. So, thirdly, let's talk about our access to God. Our access to God, which comes through Jesus Christ, is in the end not partial, but it is total. The book of Hebrews explores the way Jesus' death on the cross dealt with our unholiness. Jesus did this in a full and final and unrepeatable way. Let me quote uh, from the book of Hebrews. When this priest, that is Jesus, had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he did this when he, he died on the cross, he sat down then at the right hand of God, job done. For by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Imagine someone gave you a carbon offset that meant you had a zero carbon footprint. Now and forever. You can be carbon neutral. Well, Jesus has given you a sin offset. That means you can have a zero sin footprint. Now and forever. We live then in the category of the holy. We who trust in Christ, we are not counted unholy. The gift has been offered that compensates, that offsets, that removes and washes away our sins, and therefore we can draw near to God. Hebrews again, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings. That's quite a confidence. Confidence to enter the most holy place, that is, the innermost part of the tabernacle. Push through all of those veils and curtains right into the thickest of the cloud and, and be in that place. To go right into the holiness containment unit without fear, with confidence. It's a radical invitation to go where, like even Moses in this passage doesn't go. He, the cloud excludes him. But, says the author of Hebrews, in Jesus, go in. But come on, Ben, you may say, where is this holy place really? And how am I meant to enter it? How do we draw near to God? Where does this happen? Because the access to God we as Christians have now is through the Holy Spirit. The tabernacle, this um, tent, used to be the point of interface between God and his people. But now God dwells in us who believe in Jesus by his Spirit. And that's a very different thing to 
having a tabernacle in the midst of the camp of the people. God dwells in us by his spirit and he meets us in our hearts and minds, in our bodies and ourselves. Paul prays for the Ephesian Christians that God the Father may strengthen you with power in your inner being that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And the effect of this indwelling is a relationship with God as Father. This is, this is the, the experience of and the expression of the access that we have. Paul says to the Romans, by him, by the Holy Spirit, we cry to God, Abba, Father. This is the most fundamental mode of access to God we enjoy as Christians. The heart that knows God as Father with joy and assurance and that turns to that Heavenly Father in prayer and addresses him, Abba, Father. There is access to God. So draw near, that is the way. It should be said, however, that still greater access to God lies ahead. There is still much that is partial about our access to God now. Paul also writes to the Corinthians, For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then, at a later and coming time, we shall see face to face. Exodus ends with a bright cloud filling the tabernacle and Moses unable to enter. But the whole Bible ends with a clear light filling the holy city, a city that does not have a temple. This is Revelation 21-22. John, seeing a vision of the coming world, says, I did not see a temple in the city, because the Lord God Almighty and the, Lord, the Lamb are its temple. The glory of God gives it light. In that city, whose gates always stand open, his servants will see his face, it is said. The access to God we have now by faith, in the Spirit, in our hearts, will turn into sight. The cloud that is illuminated by God's glory will clarify, if you like, into pure light, and we will see by it. Now, all of that is the Bible's way of talking about something that God has in store for us that we do not yet see, we do not yet know. We have these images and ways of describing it, but these descriptions are not direct. They speak of things that are still to be experienced. But they provide us with hope. And so we can ask, how shall we live then in view of such a hope, such a promise of such access to God, both now and in, and in the coming world? Will we live now then carelessly? Will we say, well, you know, what does it matter what I do, holy or unholy? Man, if I've got a zero sin footprint, I can do what I like. Is that the attitude? Or will we live reverently, seeking to be holy as God is holy. Paul writes to the Corinthians, Since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. I want to commend that attitude to living. What is it in your life that contaminates body and spirit? Does anger contaminate for you body and spirit, flaring up and 
lashing out at those around you and spreading this, this anger, not just from you, but into the people around you? Or does it bubble away constantly, bitterly inside you as it turns in upon itself? If anger is contaminating your body and spirit, ask what can you do with the Lord's help to purify yourself of anger? Does envy contaminate your body and spirit? Fixing with resentment on what others have. Wishing ill upon those who enjoy something you lack. Again, what can you do with the Lord's help to purify yourself of envy? Of course, the list could go on. But there are two things to think about at least. Our hope, our sure hope, is that made clean and holy by Christ, we shall see him and we shall be like him. And John says, all who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the lengths that you have gone to to grant us access to you, to dwell with us, and not just at a kind of separation where you are within a place we cannot go, but that you have opened the way that Jesus Christ has offered for us the sacrifice we need to offer. He's become the atonement that washes away our sins, that consecrates us, that we can freely approach you uh, now in our hearts to know you as Father, to cry out to you, to come into your presence and seek from you those things we need. But also, Lord, the hope we have of the day when we will see your face by the light of your glory. We will live in the holy place ourselves. So, Lord, in the meantime, help us to prepare ourselves for that great day, that great destiny, by purifying ourselves with your help from everything that contaminates body and spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.